Hello, and welcome to Memorial Hall Library's Shelf Help Podcast. I'm Stephanie Smith, a reference and cataloging librarian. And I'm Beth Kerrigan, the coordinator of the children's department here at the library. We are continuing our discussion of the library book by Susan Orlean as part of Andover's 2021 Community Read. You can find more info at our website, which is mhl.org for Memorial Hall Library. In this episode, we are discussing chapters 17 to 21. And since we were talking about this a little bit earlier, I thought we would start briefly with the format of the book, since that's something that really hasn't come up on the show, but um, but is a big part of the book. Yes. Well, you bring it up because I don't like the format of the book, probably. <laughs> um, yeah, but I'm I just, surprised that it hasn't come up before, too. Yeah, yeah. So so I'm one of these people that likes things to be clear and flow nicely, and the, the jumping around and the going back and forth, back and forth in time, back and forth to architecture, then back to services, yeah. then back to Harry, just kind of gets... It, now that I'm like where I'm at in the book, I'm like, okay, is this, I'm, this is, I'm stuck. That's the way it is. So just yeah. finish the book. <laughs> but um, I don't know. It's not, it's not that I find it confusing so much. It's just a lot of back and forth. And, yeah. There uh, is. Maybe if it was just back and forth between two, like I just read Conjure Women and it was back mm-hmm. and forth between two, you know, right. characters in two time periods, but it was just that those two yeah. and that was manageable to me. Yeah, there are a lot of different a lot of different threads here, and I feel like in these, in this set of chapters in particular, we see that maybe more than we have earlier. I feel like in other parts of the book there'll be like a few chapters on something, and then a few, and now like this particular set, it's like back and forth and back and forth, and like now something else. Sure. Yeah, it is. It is a little choppy. I don't know how. I don't know how I would have done it to make it flow better, like with a chronological approach more of, you know, like more of a history of the library starting from the 1800s and working up through the fire and then to the present day or? Right, because she talks about the architecture and the building of the new building and she talks yeah. about the, the history of the librarians. And then she also talks about services and clearly the services aren't all, you know, old or all right. new. So, you know, you're trying to, picture okay are we talking about are we back in the 60s again are we back in the 40s are we at the turn of the century type thing so so that and and then you you, every time they throw harry back in there or if she throws harry back in there i'm like okay okay that was 1919 what 1986 yeah uh you know the fire was in 86 okay that's that's the time i find myself constantly have to to remind myself what the setting and time period is yeah as i'm reading I know what you mean. Even, I mean, in just in this set, yeah, we sort of go from like rel- basically the present day, whenever she wrote this, early early 2010s, mid-2010s, yes. right, to then the 1920s, then back to the early 2010s, then back to the 60s, then back to the 80s. It, I would almost like it if there were, like, at the beginning of each chapter, even if she just, like, gave a date or, like, a date range. right. Because you do, you do have to find it in the chapter. Yeah. Like, you know, there's, there's hints sometimes where, or she might say the actual year, but there's right. hints sometimes of when it is. Speaking of the um, beginning of the yeah. chapters, um, 
I think it's pretty cool to have all those titles. I don't, yeah. I, this is the first time you and I've talked about it. So maybe other people brought it up too. Um, and, and actually I, I find myself taking notes that I want to look up some of the books and, and see <laughs> if it's something that that's, you know, and especially in our chapters, one of the chapters that we read was about teen services and there were yeah. some books um, that went along with teen services. I was not happy though, and it was chapter 20 to see Helter mm -hmm. Skelter there. Cause yeah. I read that book when I was a teenager and I had nightmares and had to put it down. So oh, no. I was like, Oh, not, not Helter Skelter, but anyway, <laughs> I'm sure it was, you know, appropriate considering that, you know, where, yeah. where the book takes place, but exactly. anyway, I, I just thought that was an, an added nice touch and, you know, including call numbers of where they're yeah. located in the library. So yeah, just a little aside. Yeah, Justin and I talked about that a little bit in, I think the first episode, and he had noticed that some of the call numbers had an X at the beginning, which as a cataloger, I'd never seen that. So I okay. actually, I called the Central Branch Library in Los Angeles to ask. Okay. And they said that the X indicates items in the children's room. Oh. Which, yeah. Well, then I, now that's offensive to me as a children's librarian because X <laughs> to me means like X, you don't exist. And yeah. all of our books start like, with J, right. which is also, you know, not really, it's J for juvenile, right? which really isn't the best, um, but yeah. that's how we distinguish between adult books and, and right. books here. Right. I mean, I feel like these days, maybe it was different in the past, but these days you hear juvenile, you think detention. Right. No, it's not. Yeah. Or, <laughs> not it's, or it's juvenile. It's too young. Right. And nobody knows what J stands for. Nobody. No. Just the librarians. Yeah. It's I've another seen, one of those jargons. Yeah. And I've seen E sometimes in other libraries for like yeah. easy reader, I assume. You know, or you'll see yeah. J-E or sometimes E-E, which has always baffled me, but right. like early, easy. Early, easy, elementary. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm like, is the X because children starts with a CH and X can be used for the CH sound? Some like, I don't, I don't know why X. So she did not have an answer. But. She didn't have, she didn't know. They just never changed it, huh? Yeah. <laughs> for some reason, at some point, someone picked X. Somebody decided X was a good, like, maybe it was Charles Luminous, Luminous, or however Luminous, you say his yeah. name. <laughs> yeah, he was a weirdo. <laughs> Well, I think we should, I think we should dive in with the, uh, with chapter 19 then about children's and teen services. Let's start there. It was a pretty okay. short chapter. It is, um, I thought it was interesting, um, just the opening, talking about the movie Pleasantville. Yeah. Um, because, well, Jesse and I talked about it because he's a movie buff and, yes. um, and I actually saw that movie because I'm not a movie buff, <laughs> but um, I thought it was so interesting that this person who wrote, directed, and co-produced that movie wanted to have a fundraiser for teen services in the library and, and was actually, you know, on the Board of Library Commissioners in Los Angeles, and I was like, yeah. that is so cool. Like, who said librarians are not cool? Exactly. Yeah. Um, but, and I thought that was great, and then, you know, all the things talking to to the teen librarian and, yeah. and all her skills and and again needing to be closer in age to the kids than some of the librarians because right. it has and you know for a long time teen services was a love of mine and yeah um 
I'll just throw in a little aside. So I grew up in libraries. I was, um, my grandmother and my mother were both librarians. And mm -hmm. so I, I was born when um, my mom was working at the local library. And so I was always at the library. I was, I was the librarian's kid who went to all the programs mm -hmm. and then I became the volunteer. And then I started working there mm -hmm. and on and on and on. But when I was going to library school, I was still working at that library. And I was just like, we didn't have a teen section and right. I was mortified. Yeah. So I was like, we have to have a teen section. So because I was so young, they were like, okay, you create the teen section. Right. And I got to do that, which That's was really cool. cool. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I just, and when I was doing um, teen services more, yeah, because um, my job here is just children's, but right. I would travel around to libraries when they had additions or new buildings or new teens and yeah. you know scope them out and yeah definitely see what they did and, and if they were really cool or if they were you know stuck in a corner somewhere which is where most teen areas ended up so yeah i know we were saying we were saying before we started recording that children's departments seem to end up in basements on the whole yeah. and uh, yeah teen departments definitely end up like stuck in corners <laughs> yeah away from everything yeah or right next to the librarian's desk so the librarian can keep an eye on them but yeah yeah so um yeah definitely i mean i know in in the library in the town where i lived as a teenager there really there wasn't a teen room there were teen books and there was yeah like but they were sort of a re like in the same room as the reference book Sure. Not really divided at all. It wasn't. It wasn't really a place where you would want to go and hang out because it would be like hanging out in the reference department, which right. would be fine, but just not that appealing to uh, to a teenager. But you know, it was an old building, and there really wasn't anywhere to expand. Um, exactly. So you know, naturally, I was on the library's teen advisory board, and uh, when we met, it was up in it was up in this weird like attic space that was not open to the public because you know, it, it didn't seem suitable to have kind of a loud meeting of teenagers in the reference department. Sure, yeah. Um, I mean, a loud meeting. There were usually four of us at most, but... I know, but you're teenagers. Right, you're teenagers. <laughs> you make more noise. That's right, so, by, by even, default. Even in the central, you know, in the LA Central Library, they do describe the teen department as, as being in a corner. I'm sure it's a very yeah. big corner. Sure. Um, and it seems pretty well-defined and I'm guessing there's some walls or doors, but still a corner. <laughs> yes, yes, unfortunately, or as I used to say, a shelf of books. <laughs> yeah. In a corner. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, but, and then I, you know, I thought it was pretty cool how they talked about the children's department. Um, you know, they were all kind of there. It wasn't like a separate room. Right. Like when we do our story times here, most of the time it's in a separate room. Yeah. And the reason we do that is one, to keep the noise in that area, but also to um, kind of give us not to have people walking through the program. Right. And, um, but I thought when I read that part of it, how they were all sitting around singing alphabet song and, yeah. you know, they, that, you know, that makes sense because, you know, people can see what's happening. And if you don't right. care that people are joining in, you know, why, why not? And right. one right. of my, used to that. right. And in some libraries, you don't have a choice. I mean, my, one of my first jobs 
we didn't have a separate room. So we right. put carpet squares on the floor in the, the children's area and we all sat there and people would come through, but there was nothing we could do. Right. So we're talking about this post COVID, you know, getting back to in-person programming right. sometime. And we're actually looking at some of the outdoor spaces we have oh, here. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things will be that anybody will be able to walk up and join right. in, but is that such a bad thing? People right. will see what you're doing. Yeah. Um, I remember too, when we had story times, people would walk by and they'd stop and peer in the window to see what was going on. So I bet. You know, I just, I, that was just something or... that I noted. Um, and, and then of course she was all excited about getting a letter from Mo Willem Willems. Yeah. Well, I met Mo Willems, so. That's exciting. Was he was he was at MLA um, several years ago when he first started out. Yeah. Um, so, I've never met Mo Willems, but I do enjoy his books very yes. much. Yeah, I mean, as do a lot of people. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know that I've ever met anyone who is not, at, at the very least, amused by "Don't Let the Pigeon Drive the Bus." Right. And if you're listening to this and you haven't read "Don't Let the Pigeon Drive the Bus," it is a picture book. It will not take you long, and it is well worth the time. Yes, and you know, don't forget elephant and piggy stories. Everybody yes. loves those. Elephant and piggy are also great. I mean, there's a whole series of the pigeon books, sure. but you know, yes. the, the classic is is don't let the pigeon drive the bus. Exactly. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, I would be excited to get a letter from Mo Willems. But... Oh, sure. I'm not saying that she shouldn't have been excited, but I was. Just but I'm sure it was fun to meet him too. Yeah, yeah, it was interesting. He yeah. was actually a judge of our book cart drill team program nice i always thought that would be fun but i've never had the chance to be in a book cart drill team yeah maybe someday it's a lot of hard work yeah pushing <laughs> those carts <laughs> no, it's the choreography that's hard yeah not that's stepping cool. on somebody else's foot and running over their feet with the carts and going the wrong direction the other day I was, I was looking at the little vinyl footprints that we have by the reference area because of COVID to indicate yes. like which way to walk. Yes. And all of a sudden it made me think of like in old timey movies where they have like a dance lesson with the dance footprints yes. around. I was thinking it would be fun after COVID to just take more of those vinyl footprints and make them into dance patterns. There you go. <laughs> well, the kids love them. They'll come into yeah. the children's room and they'll be like stepping on them, putting their two oh, feet on them and then jumping and then yeah. jumping to the next one. Yeah, they think it's a game. Yeah, I mean, is, I, you know, you know what? Not not a bad thing considering yeah. everything that's been going on this year. So yeah, any way that you can get enjoyment out of it is, you know, even if right. you're jumping on the footprints, it's a good thing. That's right. <laughs> um, so I thought we I would also kind of segue into the one about the literacy center, not because it's yeah. related so much, but because it's the other chapter about services that we sure. had. Um. Thank you for not jumping around. <laughs> yes, thought we'd try to, in my notes, I tried to group the chapters because, I mean, it also just makes for an easier conversation when you're not like all over the place. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Of course, now I have weeks of old notes to look through for this week's notes. Oh, there they are, hidden by the book, typical. Oh, um, I was shocked reading it over again this time. I somehow hadn't noticed this before when they mentioned that you know, 70% of the adults they see in the literacy center are not native English speakers. Right. Which means that 30% of the people they see are native English speakers who are either completely illiterate or I think they said reading at or below a third grade level. And that sort of shocked me. I, sure. I did not expect that there were 
that many people who struggled to read. Um, right. And at least two of the libraries that I've worked at had very strong, thriving um, literacy centers. Yeah. Like they had their, their own staff and they right. had multiple classes and they were like a library within the library. And yeah. um, there was a huge call for it. And here we have the conversational English group. Right. Um, and when I, you know, I know that they've always had a lot of people wanting to come um, yeah. And there have been times when they haven't met and of course they're not meeting now, but right. I remember, you know, people would be desperately looking for classes or services or ways to get, you know, Definitely. help practicing. And a lot of people um, will come to our story times. Uh, we, yeah. we get a lot, of, especially grandparents mm. who don't speak English and they'll bring their grandchildren. Yeah. And part of it is that they want to yeah. practice and learn the language too. Yeah, that makes total so, sense. Yeah, so that reminds me of an earlier chapter in this book. Maybe it's later, where uh, the author is at the Little Tokyo branch, and they also mention there that a lot of a lot of grandparents and older people will borrow the picture books, maybe yes. for their grandkids, but also as a way of practicing the language. Yes, uh, and we would do that with our conversational English right. group here, they would come down and ask us for help finding books. And sometimes the tutors will arrange to come and meet the, the student um, yeah. on their own and they'll sit in, in the room and, well, right. pre-COVID, they'd sit in the room and read together. Yeah. Um, yeah. And just as many come, you know, the rest of that chapter was about the um, tutor who would sit and help people right. and, and help them, you know, with language questions. And I think one of the questions in the um, book discussion uh, literature was about learning another language. And I see just as many people meeting tutors to learn a foreign language as I do look to try to learn English, at Definitely. least in our, in our town, so. Yeah. But, but I thought that was a fabulous service. I can hey, imagine, and, and I'm sure you get that at the reference desk at times, you yeah. know, people needing help. And, and I know that there are some people who come in and ask help writing letters in English and yeah. English is not their native language. So, right. um, you know, why not? Yeah. That, re that reminds me of the, um, when they did the tally in one of the chapters about the reference phone reference oh, questions and it was all about the crosswords. That and, was and fantastic. Being told not to answer those questions. And um, I do remember when I first started working here, I was reference teen. And I yep. do remember people would call sometimes on Sundays and ask for help with the crosswords. Oh, I bet. And one of our one of the people that worked um, with me on the Sundays actually did the crosswords. So she could often just give them the answer right off the bat. <laughs> but um, I feel like, okay, this calls for you. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. I mean, I want to know like how... How are the librarians answering the phone supposed to know if it was a crossword clue question? Unless the caller said explicitly, can you help me with this? I mean, especially True. if you make, if you look at the list of questions that, uh, that were asked, you know, they got things like, I don't know. I mean, I guess maybe you like what Romeo looked like is the first yeah. on that list. I guess that wouldn't really be a crossword kind of question, but sure. it's fully trivial, I would say. <laughs> right, right. Well, and of course, so there's so much trivia. Yeah. You wouldn't really know. Now, yeah. you're right. Unless maybe it was like 
the same few people calling all the time and, right, and yeah. the librarians got to know them or yeah yeah or like um, you say on Sundays you know all of a sudden there's a real uptick in the question because people are doing the Sunday crossword right or they say I need an eight letter word that starts with da 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 that yeah. this that would be a clue I guess yeah that would definitely that would definitely be a clue um I'll take this shameless opportunity to plug the crossword puzzles that we have on our website. Right. I construct some of them and our head of reference Dean constructs some of them and they are not as difficult as the Sunday crosswords, uh, okay. I would say. So if you're looking for some crosswords, I believe actually the, certainly the one for March was library themed. And I think there's also a library theme to the one for April is kind of a tie in with the library book. So okay. they're usually on cool. our main page, but you can also find them at mhl.org slash puzzles. So if you're looking not for crossword answers, although I don't see why we wouldn't help with those at the reference desk if you called us or chatted with us. Yeah, why not? You haven't been told not to. Just right. this right. isn't Los Angeles. Right. Exactly. <laughs> We're, we're free to answer. Uh, we'll, we'll answer pretty much any question. Um, right. Well, I mean, I think we that's the thing. And that was one of the points that was made. Um, as they talked about, I think it was during the depression, they were saying the library yeah. was a sol solace um, for people. It was a warm place to go. It was a place that they felt comfortable. Yeah. And um, I remember, and I don't remember if it was when I was in library school or I was, just starting out but I remember um, talking to a librarian in a city library and she was talking about immigrants and how su suspect they were of the library mm. because they didn't understand what the library was about and right and they didn't understand why people were coming saying oh how can I help you or whatever like it was yeah. just like that was not what they were used to right and they they were suspicious of that yeah and um you know, and I think a lot of times, at least I've always felt one of the best things about libraries is how we try to be there for all different needs right. and all different, um, you know, not just about questions, but but understanding and, and, you know, maybe it is that warm place to be. Um, years ago when we had some bad storms and there were power outages for yeah. days, we were like a warming center and we right. were, people were coming and charging them, their, you know devices and yeah it was we were just a place where people could be and um you know right now we can't do that with covid but that no, that was wonderful when we can get back to that right exactly because then i think that's what what all of us want yeah we're, because that's at least that's how i always have felt about the library definitely so. right that's sort of the beauty of it is it's a place where anyone can go and yeah whether and just feel welcome and right. get get their needs met, whatever it is at that moment, and and sometimes it's not at that moment that they can get that need met, but right. they can ask for help, and then if we can't find them the answer or the help they need, we can right eventually find it for them. Yeah, right, or connect them to another resource, you right. know, to the town social worker, for example, or sure you know, to someone else who would, who would be able to meet that need. Um, exactly. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be really great when we get back to that, get back to in-person programming. Um, I did, in thinking about libraries and being welcoming, in the chapter when they were talking about the opening of the, uh, of the original Goodhue building in 1926, 
they mentioned that shortly after it opened, there was a huge, I mean, maybe huge is an exaggeration, but there was what they described as like a notable rise in crime in the library exactly. or criminal activity. Yeah, that was, I was just, I was shocked about that. I was, yeah, that really, like, that really surprised me. I mean, libraries are open to everyone and certainly every now and then bad things happen, but not, not normally to that extent. Right. Right. They called them the, they said there was um, book thieves and there yeah. was mutilators. They were cutting open the, the books and taking pages out and whatever. It's like, yeah, to turn them into fraudulent travel pamphlets. <laughs> right. It's like, and of course there, you know, there are school assignments where the kids have to make a travel pamphlet and, you know, like, but we used to, you know, have, be able to give them some magazines to cut right. up, you know, exactly. get discarded. Yeah. And, you know, that's the kind of thing where I didn't really understand that because I thought like all of a sudden all these people who wanted to commit criminal acts came out of the woodwork and went to the library because it was brand new and opened and like yeah that seems did they have something against books so they had to <laughs> attack yeah. them uh, I yeah really that was weird, weird. um I, I did also, yeah oh no, I was no, gonna I say I like that they had a specific line item for um for replacing a chewed books which does happen a lot, although I think usually it's someone's dog rather than, with the possible exception of like the board books, I would say. Yes, yeah. Um, but those are meant to be chewed on. That's true. That's um, true. But yeah, I, I thought it was interesting that apparently chewed books were such a problem that they had their own specific line separate from like, presumably separate from other types of damaged books. Yeah, um, that is strange. You know, I mean, I don't know. I think we, I feel like we would see water damaged books more than chewed books, but we don't, yeah. we don't keep track by type of damage. No. Exactly. Exactly. If it's damaged and it can't be used anymore, it, you know, goes away and we replace it or yeah. find something else that to replace it. But Exactly. I was a little dismayed before, um, before recording this, I was cataloging books as I do. And I was flipping through the pages of one and two of them stuck together. And there was, I don't know what it was. It looked brownish. Mm. I'm like, this is a brand new book. Like, weird. how did this happen? Where did this come from? What is it? But I don't actually want an answer to that question. True. Sometimes <laughs> it's best not to know. No. Um, but it's particularly disturbing when it's on a brand new book. Exactly. That was, that was odd. Um, but yeah, I, I would like to say for anyone listening who doesn't know this, we are not a hotbed of criminal activity, unlike the Los Angeles library of a century ago. No, I don't believe we are. No, not to say that strange things don't sometimes happen here, but you yeah. know. It is still a public building. Right, you and far between, Yeah, I would say. We're, uh, we're very lucky that way. Um, I did sort of flipping through near the part where they were talking about the book thieves. They also talked about, um, that radio show from the depression, Americans at work. Yeah. And they get a little excerpt of the radio play about the girl who wants to become a librarian. Right. right. <laughs> uh, and just, of course, then the next paragraph talked about how there was like this 80% of all American librarians were male at the yeah. time, 1905. Right. And um, 
you know, now we know that like more women came into yeah. the field. Like obviously it's it's so many years later right. and women kind of took over with there are still yeah. male librarians and there seemed to be more coming. Yeah. But there was a time where there didn't seem too many male librarians for a while. And it yeah. was a, one of those like women became librarians or teachers or right. nurses. Right. right, exactly. And I think I think a lot of those professions are starting to see, you know, the gender imbalance start to start to level off, uh, sure. which is good. But but yeah, it is interesting how it was such a drastic flip flop. Right. Like what happened to all of the men librarians? Did they just right? and weren't replaced? Did they when you know when it became more dominated by women? Who yeah. I mean, I don't know that there's any way to know that, but somebody but some librarian's gonna do research about that. Yeah. Yeah, if there's any if there's any LIS candidates out there right now that are looking for a looking for a paper topic, they, let me yeah. recommend one. But um, but yeah, I, I did enjoy the history. I actually think I found the historic chapters about historic services a little bit more interesting than the chapters about current day services, which I also enjoyed, but I feel like I have a better pulse on, you know, maybe just because I'm a librarian, I have a better pulse on kind of what you would expect from current day services. Sure. Um, whereas the historical ones, you know, that was, that was more personally amusing to me. To see how the field has developed and 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 it was also i thought interesting how um, innovation has always been a part of yeah. librarianship and even back in the 60s i think i think it's um one of the later chapters we read mm -hmm. um that they were talking about innovations that they recognized that books were not going to be the yeah. only game in town and they were looking for ways to develop new services and and, and I think that's also something that draws me to librarianship is that there's yeah. always something new to learn, that was something learned to share. Yeah. Um, but I also think, and, and with the teen services, the chapter two, and talking about some of the services and some of the things that they did, and um, maybe not the same exact way, but, you know, like they talked about concerts for the kids. Right. And uh, one of the things, things that I did as a teen librarian was we had open mic night oh you know? fun. so yeah so maybe not exactly the same right. but you know so we're it, it evolves but we also have some of the same similar um ideas behind it i guess yeah i'm thinking like and i suppose you know we're always trying to meet our customers where they're at and what right. they need but sometimes we have to take the leap and say, okay, we, we want to try this now because right. this could be a really good service. Um, right. Because we would like this. We think it would right. help um, whatever the case may be. And I think that to me was also why we were able to continue to do what we did during the shutdown. Yeah. Because we had services that were available online right. or virtually that we were able to still maintain some sort of connection with people. Yeah. Albeit, there are people that are not online all the right. you know as much or at all. Right. But Even we try to keep that connection going and find ways yeah. to. So. Yeah, I know. I think some people would be surprised that even in Andover, not everyone has you know internet at home or a computer at home. But sure. not everyone. Not everyone does. A large, I think, a larger percentage than 
than most places maybe do have the computer at home here and the internet, but. And we were talking, um, I had a, a children's services meeting yesterday yeah. with other children's librarians in the area and, and people were talking about how, how the shutdown and, and everything impacted their circulation right. because obviously a lot of libraries were closed for a long time and then right. reopened slowly and we don't have as many people coming in. But so are you looking at specific collections and, and are they yeah, are they going away? And right. one of the things we talked about were things like books on CD and playaways. Um, do we take our money and sink that into more overdrive content right. or hoopla where people can use their um, iPods or their computers to listen mm -hmm. rather yeah. than, and then somebody told me that new cars don't necessarily have a CD player in them. So people yeah. aren't going to be borrowing CDs anymore because they're not going to be listening. They're going to have their right. connection through the aux car cord. Right. I do, think, I do so think CDs are going the way of cassette tapes. Uh, yeah, CDs, cassettes, even the DVDs. Yeah. So, but then, you know, it was interesting to, to me, I was talking to some of my staff about it today, and one of them said to me, you know, not everybody in town has an iPod. Exactly. Um, or, or, a new car. or a new car or yeah. a, a something, an iPhone they can play, right. you know, an audiobook on. So she was suggesting that we put some money into buying some devices and putting them in the library of things yeah. for people yeah. to borrow. Yeah, I think, oh. I think CDs will be around for a little while yet. So it's funny, I, my previous car was a 2017 Subaru and, um, and that did not have a CD player. Then I got a 2017, so same year, 2017 Nissan, that has a CD player. I mean, I, both Japanese cars, I think. Yeah. Question mark, I think Nissan is Japanese. I know Subaru is. Yeah. This is why this is shelf help and not car talk. Um, <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but, but I did wrong, wrong podcast. Yeah, wrong podcast. But I do think it was interesting that, you know, both of those cars were the same year. One had a CD player, one didn't. Right. right. But, you know, I, I've really gotten, because I had the other car for a couple of years, I really got out of the habit of listening to books on CD. And I, I do all of them now on Overdrive or on Libby right. on my phone. Yeah. yeah. Um, with my previous car, my phone, my phone plugged in with the charging cable actually with the usb charger and on this car i connect it through bluetooth yeah. um and it just you know and in some ways i like it a lot better because you know there's never a scratched cd to deal with and right. you know i'm not driving somewhere and now oh the cd is done and now i don't get to listen anymore until i can swap to the next cd right, um, right. so mostly i've come to like the the digital audiobooks better but sometimes there'll be something I want and it's only available on CD. Right. Um, or I can also see situations where, you know, maybe you have the capacity to, to do the digital audiobooks, but maybe you're playing it for your kid and you don't want your kid to have the screen. Maybe you'd rather take a physical CD, put it in a CD player, you know, and go that route. Um, sure, sure. Or if you're not comfortable or don't have a smartphone, you're not comfortable using one, you know, I think, I think it'll be a while before CDs are totally gone, but you know, new laptops now too, don't usually have a CD drive. Um, right. You can buy an external one, sure. but, um, but yeah, so I, I do think they're dying out, but I think it's still worth keeping them in, in the library for a while. Right. Right. Yeah. So the question becomes, do you, how, how much, 
how much budget right. do you put towards that or do you shift it to the other right. you know electronic resources so exactly so so again i always constantly re re looking at things and trying to decide what what we're going to do and what what our customers want right exactly um i think I think that hits most of the topics. I think the only other thing that I wanted to discuss from this section of chapters was kind of the the conflict of interest between architectural preservation and acceptable working conditions. Yeah. <laughs> you Is know, there ever a library that doesn't have a problem with their heating and AC? No. I have clearly we know that we have that issue here. Yeah. Um, and have, I mean, I've been working here over 20 years and right. there's always been issues oh, and we've yeah. had new things put in and things change and yeah, it's, it never worked. But I, I had to chuckle at that, yeah. that whole thing. My favorite was, you know, writing all the, oh, the it's just, you know, oh, it's this degrees and it's grossly overheated and the patrons are complaining and then it's getting worse now it's smog like pea soup and the heat yeah. is blasting then everything becomes capital letters yeah. ridiculous horrors horrid unbearable <laughs> and then it goes the thermometer's been stolen and part of me was like was that the administration they didn't want to hear any more complaints that was my thought not gonna yeah. lie i had the same yeah. thought um but 104 degrees oh I my mean, gosh i can't even really ridiculous yeah like you can't work in you cannot work in 104 degrees i mean no. I think the administration had said at some point they decided that when it was 95 degrees inside the building, that's when it was. And I'm like, I, look, you're not going to get good work out of me if I'm sitting in a 94 degree building. Exactly. Yeah. 95 was the cutoff, but yeah. anything below that was fine. I was thinking to myself, um, yeah. no, if it's in the nineties, you want to be laying by the pool. Thank you very yeah, much. Exactly. You're not like, going to be. No, productive. I can't, I'm not going to be, I mean, I don't even think in an 80 degree building I'm certainly not going to be at my peak production and yeah uh, no and and it's it is it's too uncomfortable and people do complain and it's just yeah. not it's not healthy no no it's yeah that that was sort of shocking and you know I was reading this and I'm thinking oh sure it's all very well for the architects to say this is you know this is a historic building it needs to be preserved but yeah. it's not the ones working in 94 degree heat <laughs> exactly they're probably in their cushy office with their ac yeah. going yeah yeah so i mean my husband is an architect and every now and then not not this specifically will come up but you know he'll say something and i'm like oh that's right that's how it is in the private sector <laughs> i'd forgotten you forgot that oh my I, yeah gosh. it's a and that sort of came up earlier in this book too after the fire when uh when the oil company across the street let the librarians work in their space and they're like yeah. wow this is so luxurious this is so right exactly um well, I mean, I would say we we have a pretty good we have a pretty good workspace here. There, there's always room. Oh yeah, but um, but Absolutely. yeah, definitely definitely different than working in the private sector. Um, sure, sure. But um, I mean, you know, the the part of the building where I am now is the historic part, certainly yes. old. But uh, I think we've been lucky here that it's been well preserved and you know, reasonably well heated and. They, they take care of us. The yeah. town does a good job of, of making sure that we have what we, we need in response to issues. And yeah. we have um, a project starting up now with our children's room circulation yeah. desk, which is the desk that's in there now was put in when they did the 
expansion in 1987. Right. So we've had the top of it has been re done a few times but um we still have the main desk is still the main desk right and so so we're looking for something completely different i think and that'll be so exciting. that's a fun project and yeah. they may even um, impact other parts of the room where we might move some things around so right. we're, we're looking at that now but um but the town is very um you know supportive of us and, yes. and patrons and our you know, we, we often don't go without when we need something. Right. So that's nice too. Yeah. I mean, we're not working in 94 degree heat. We are and not. No. It, yeah. it should not ever, and I don't think it would ever get to 94 in here because, you know, we have like air conditioning. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, well, where you are now used to have separate air conditioning where you're sitting in the hall and, yep. and it was different and it was not as good as the main building. And so we, in the summertime, especially, we would melt because we were trying to, and we'd have programs up there. We'd have performers and they'd be dripping and the kids oh, would be I dripping and, yeah. and it was just horrid. Um, yeah. But they finally fixed that yeah. issue, thank goodness. But now we can't have big groups meeting, but yeah. we'll, we'll get there. We will, we'll get back to it. In the meantime, we're not sitting here with 40 watt light bulbs. <laughs> True. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And, you know, oh, I just, that was, yeah, reading that made me really, really thankful to, for the fact that although we're in a historic building, it's, uh, it's pretty up to date. Yes. Yes. I and mean, that, yeah, but it, but it is an interesting question. Like, you know, at what, at what point does architectural pres preservation have to take a backseat to the comfort and like safety of the building sure, uh, sure. and the people and the people working in it. So um i think into later chapters you you get the impression that they've significantly fixed up that building yeah yeah I mean, obviously they're not still sitting in there without air conditioning you know with books all over the place but sure. but it was sort of shocking to me that it was allowed to get that bad right um i think sometimes it depends on you know who's in leadership in the city right. and you know how much people can push people and right. you know politics i guess is yeah. Yeah. I mean, right. We're, we're a town department or a city department, depending on the case. And yeah, it is, it is a matter of politics um, for sure. Although, you know, it's a little surprising to me that this book doesn't get into that more. I feel like there's, there's like a passing reference to it. There was just the, um, so the last chapter we read um, goes back to Harry Peak, and yeah. then that's the chapter that he gets arrested in. And um, that was the first like I guess I could say negative thing that they talked about with the with the city and that was that they arrested him on a Friday because they wanted the story to be kept you know under wraps so that they could because they really didn't have anything other than six librarians who identified him as the sketchy person that was running through the building and so they did it and they, they tried to keep it under wraps, but the mayor had a press conference and announced that he'd been arrested and who he was and all that stuff. It was like, dude. You missed the memo. <laughs> yeah, right. Apparently nobody told the mayor that he should not say anything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know it's it's interesting when we get to the Harry Peak story. At this point, you know, I was I was wondering whether I would have made the same decision to arrest him. I mean, I, I have no idea, but um, but they mentioned polygraph tests that he'd failed, that he'd failed a polygraph test. So I took yeah. a quick look 
online before before the podcast and according to the american psychological association there's really no evidence to suggest that polygraph tests are at all accurate useful viable um they've often been tossed out as court evidence because courts don't find them to be reliable sources of evidence so i thought it was interesting that you know at that point they did have him take the polygraph test and it indicated that he was uh being deceitful but yeah but yeah it really wasn't evidence that they could use and you know who knows i mean he just seemed like kind of a flaky character to begin with you know i think they yeah i'm not sure he would even know if he was telling the truth to be honest with you it seems like there's he might not i I don't know what the i don't know what it is yet uh you know they talked about how he had gained weight because he had gone off drugs yeah you know but right i think there's a lot of things that aren't clear but he he also he seems to be somebody who craves attention and, you know, yeah. likes, likes the fact that they're asking him all these questions and, mm-hmm. you know, and he keeps changing his story right. so much. It's hard to know what to believe with him. And yeah. I don't know, maybe he sees it all as a, you know, audition or something. Right. Yeah. I mean, a chance to be on TV, even if it's yeah. for being arrested, you know, yeah. maybe someone would see his face and think, Oh, I'm going to cast you in my next movie. Right. Yeah, it's, it's hard to say what his motivations were. There's really, yeah, I mean, he certainly didn't say, and without that, we'll never know, but yeah, but yeah, it's, I, it's hard to speculate even. I think so too, but I, I don't necessarily find him to be, you know, I guess he's interesting as a, as a character, but yeah, I don't necessarily feel like I feel bad for him one way or the other. Like, like I almost... I don't really get him. Yeah, he's more of a mystery than anything else. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess sort of the central mystery of the book, but yeah. Right. He's, yeah, I don't know what to make of him either. And certainly, yeah, the evidence is not particularly strong. No. Um, So. And they, and readily they admit it. Right. So I think they they felt like they had to, to arrest him right almost on a technicality yeah um but but yeah they weren't able to keep him in custody so well i will be hearing more about harry peak in future chapters i'm sure (laughs) (laughs) so i think unless there's anything else that about wraps it up okay well thanks that was fun thanks for joining me on the podcast and uh next week i think it's justin again on the podcast for chapter star. <laughs> <laughs> for our next set of chapters, which is 22 to 27 for anyone okay. reading along. Um, you can listen to the previous episodes if you haven't already on our website at mhl.org slash podcast, or you can listen, subscribe, and rate a review in Apple Podcasts, uh, on Spotify, and on Stitcher. We hope you'll join us next time. Thanks, Stephanie. Bye, guys.